Now, as we attempt to transition to a uh, to abbreviated sermon this morning, I would invite you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter eight. Uh, the other thing I was thinking about a little bit as Carl was sharing and, and talking about how his father would go out and walk for hours and hours and hours and, and plant churches out and around and away. Uh, you know, ministry or how we do church or how we do life is really contingent upon our own context, is it not? And so to try to remove ourselves from our American context and, and insert ourselves into the Haitian context, it's hard to do that. And it would be the same for the Haitians, the for them to, to insert themselves into our context here. And so hearing about the church there and, and how, they, uh, how they functioned and what they did to make that happen and to gather together on Sunday mornings is hard for us to relate to. And so we want to try to think of ourselves as uh, where we're headed here this morning in our own context here in Westover, Maryland. And so Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 1 through 12 is what I want our focus to be on this morning. And God's inspired and inerrant word reads, And all the people gathered as one man at the square which was in front of the water gate. And they asked Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which, which Yahweh had given to Israel. And then Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly of men and women and all who could listen with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. He read from it before the square, which is in front of the water gate, from early morning until midday, in the presence of men and women and those who could understand, and all the people were attentive to the book of the law. Ezra the scribe stood at a wooden podium, which they had made for that purpose, and beside him stood all the elders on his right hand and on his left hand. Ezra opened the book in sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. Then Ezra blessed Yahweh, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen, Amen. While lifting up their hands, they bowed low and worshipped Yahweh with their faces to the ground. And all the Levites explained the law to the people while the people remained in their place. They read from the book, from the law of God, translating to give sense so that they understood the reading. Then Nehemiah who was the governor, and Ezra the priest, and the scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, This day is holy to Yahweh your God. Do not mourn or weep, for all the people were weeping when they heard the words of the law. And then he said to them, Go, eat, and drink, or go and eat of the fat, drink of the sweet, and send portions to him who has nothing prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord, do not be grieved, for the joy of Yahweh is your strength. And so the Levites calmed all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy, and do not be grieved. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions, and to celebrate a great festival, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. And now, Father, once again, we lift our voices to you. We give our hearts and our minds to you. We give this time to you. We would invite you to search our hearts and our minds. And Father, would your spirit illuminate these words in this text for us so that we not only understand it, but we also know how to apply it in our context. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. I had uh, read this passage a couple weeks ago for Call to Worship. 
And it's a passage that um, I spend a fair bit of time in. I just uh, take great encouragement from it. And so I thought I would, uh, I would explore it a little deeper. I was going to do it a little bit later, but Brad was going to be here this morning. And uh, so when he's not, I said, well, I'll bring what I got when it comes to this particular text. And so next Sunday we have communion. The following two Sundays, I'm not sure, I'll probably give Brad one of those Sundays because I know he was excited to preach and you were excited to hear from him. And so I'll probably give him one of those Sundays. And then we're going to have... A, a sermon on Thanksgiving, and then we're going to get into the Advent season. And this year for Advent, I haven't really focused in on it in the past years, I guess COVID and everything else, but I want to get back to that and focus uh, four individual Sundays on Advent. And then starting in January, some of you have been asking, starting in January, we will then start an exposition through the, through the letter to the, to the Romans. So that's just kind of an outline of where we'll be going. But it all starts with the book. <laughs> And that's what I've titled this sermon here this morning. And so just briefly, I guess, I want to give you a little bit of context of this passage of Scripture that I just read before you. It was towards the end of the Babylonian captivity. If you remember, the, the Jewish people were taken into captivity, and this, this, this portion here is towards the end of that. But I want to remind you of what came at the beginning of the captivity. And we find it in Psalm chapter 30, 137. And it's a psalm that maybe we're somewhat familiar with us, but it was written as they were being led away into captivity. And this is what they said. By the rivers of Babylon, there we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion. Upon the willows in the midst of it, we hung our harps. For there our captors demanded of us songs and our tormentors mirth, saying, sing us one of the songs of Zion. How can we sing? Yahweh? How can we sing Yahweh's songs in a foreign land? And now here almost 70 years later, these very same people who had wept when they remembered Zion, when they had wept when they said, we can't possibly worship Yahweh outside the temple. We can't possibly sing songs of, of Yahweh in a foreign land. We can't possibly do that with corrupt and infidels. We can't do that. And yet here, almost 70 years later, these same people have, come, have become complacent. They have become lethargic. They have, in essence, forgotten about their past, forgotten about Yahweh, forgotten about their temple, forgot about their, their ways of worship. And here, they're being called back into uh, faithfulness to God. And that's a little bit of the context of this setting here that is before us. And so I've broken it up into th three parts. Uh, and again, I haven't flushed all three parts out thoroughly. And so forgive me for that. But just to touch on them briefly, the first part is we can see here that they had a desire for the book. They had a desire for the book of the law, a desire for the, for the Bible. And, you know, I'm reminded about that as we try to make some type of application. Uh, I usually don't spend a lot of time on application, but I may do a little bit more of that here this morning as I think about where we find ourselves here in 2021 in America, in Westover, Maryland. And how are we as Christian people? Have we lost our way? Have we wept and have we mourned as we could not gather from Sunday to Sunday? And it seems as though a year and a half later, people have come complacent and realizing that I can just sit at home and take care and take part, partake of a worship service. You know, and that's, the, that's my thought process that I want to go here this morning. And we lament and we complain about 
we've taken Bibles out of the public school systems when we don't read them in our own homes, right? As America goes, as the church goes, so goes America. And that's what I want us to be thinking about today as what Ezra himself was calling the people back to faithfulness to God. And as we see here in this very first verse, the people came to Ezra and said, bring the book. We want to hear from the law of God. It was their tradition that every seven years they would read through the scrolls of the law. And they hadn't done it for years and years and years. They've put it all aside. And here they're coming to Ezra and saying, Ezra, bring us the book. Bring the book and read it to us. And what I want you to notice about what he says there in verse 1, it says, bring the book of the law of Moses. That would have been the the first five, uh, the, the, Septu- or the, the, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible, bring those books to us and read them to us, the books of Moses, but they weren't really the books of Moses, they acknowledge. It says, which Yahweh has given Israel. And so here what we see is first and foremost that there was not a new word that they were asking for. They were asking for what had already been given to them, and by asking for that, they acknowledged that these, are, these words are divine, that yes, Mar- Moses recorded them, but we know that it was Yahweh who gave them to Moses to record. And that is for us here today, too, obvious application, right? That the book, the Bible that we have has been given to us divinely by God for us to study here in 2021. And so this Uh, They are acknowledging that very same thing. And so then it tells us in in verse 5 that Ezra opened the book in the sight of all people. And all the people stood up. You know, here it's it's something I try myself to do. And that is to always have my Bible before me. And to always have one hand on the Bible, one hand on my notes. Yes, I have notes, but they come from the Bible right here. And if there's one thing that I think that maybe we, as a church, collectively, larger church, greater church, general context, that there is a famine in our churches, that it seems as though the Word of God is added on as an afterthought, as a proof text. We say what we want to say, and then we have a verse or two to tack on. Every Sunday morning as I get up here, and as you may have noticed or maybe not even do notice, and that would be good if you didn't, but subconsciously, there it is. I ask you to open your Bible and then give you the text of where I'm going. Now, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, there are occasions where I can see a pastor not doing that. But if Sunday after Sunday, if the pastor does not stand before the people and invite you to open the Bible to such and such a chapter, that pastor needs to run out of the pulpit. That pastor has nothing to say outside of the Word of God. Now, if that pastor wants to give you a motivational speech, he can do that. If that pastor wants to energize you as in a pepper rally, he can do that. But don't say you're a pastor. A pastor has nothing to say outside of the Word of God. And the people here of Ezra, they acknowledged that. They understood that. Bring us the book, Ezra. We don't care what you have to say. Read the book to us. And that's what I want to offer you this morning as we think about transitioning, as we think about going back and continuing on in our life. 
as we try to be faithful in our context where God has placed us. It starts with the book. It starts with what God has to say to us. At the dedication of Solomon's temple, if you remember, they were wowed. They couldn't believe the beauty, the natural beauty, the the beauty that had been created by Solomon and the splendor that he had put into that temple. They couldn't believe it and they were totally blown away by it at that first temple. And now here, at the rededication of the temple, and as they were rededicating this temple, if you'd have read back a few chapters, you would see that they rebuilt the walls, they rebuilt the gates that had fallen down from the city, and they came back to rededicate this temple, and they weren't wowed at all with the building itself. No, what they were wowed with was they wanted the scroll. They said, they said, Ezra, don't show us the temple. Read to us from the law of Moses given to Israel by God. They became known not as people of the temple, but as people of the book. And we too must be people of the book. They became known for their hunger for the word of God. As they desired, they stood there for six hours as Ezra read to them from the scroll. They became known for their hunger for the word of God, as the psalmist says in Psalm chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the wicked ways in the counsel of the wicked, but his delight is in the law of Yahweh. And in his law, he meditates day and night. We too must be people of the book. We too must have our minds and our focus entrenched in the book. We too must have this hunger and this desire. You know, it's one of the things that I always find so amazing, and, and you probably experienced it in your own life as I experienced it in my own life also. That the moment that I think that God truly did save me, although uh, He, well, <clears throat> from the moment that God truly did save me, I had such a desire to read the book. And I hear that same story over and over from so many people that when they first come to Christ, there is this this unsatisfiable desire to just read the Bible. It is there for us. And I think there's something to be said for that. And also what we see here as people of the book, there's a hunger for the Word of God, but also there is a right handling of the Word of God. There's the right handling of the Word of God in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. Paul told his protege, Timothy, a church planter himself, one that he was going to put in charge and put over a church. He said, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth, accurately handling the word of God. And I guess that is my passion, as you already know. That is is my desire. Not so much application as it is understanding. God gives you application I want you to understand it, not the way I understand it, because I often struggle with my own understanding. But we want to understand it. We want to wrestle with it together on what it means. You know, I find it very interesting sometimes as we understand the Bible. Right? There's a little church up the road, and their tagline on their church sign says, a Bible-believing church. That's nice. Have you ever seen a sign that says a non-Bible believing church? Right? 
What they're saying is, the way I understand it, and the way I believe it, people say, well, I take the Bible seriously. Okay. I never heard a professing Christian say they don't take the Bible seriously. But when we say things like that, what we're saying is the way I understand it. And, and, and I get that. And I understand that also. But together we search the scriptures. That's what I love, Acts 17, 11. For these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why? Because they accepted the word from Paul that was spoken, but then they went home to search the scriptures to see if these things were so. Listen, we need each other to be people, to be men and women of the book. We need people. We need people to help us understand one of the frustrations that, that I have. And, you know, turning 55 years old and, and your wife dragging out all these pictures that some of them you're embarrassed of or whatever. And you're like, why did I go out of the house wearing that or whatever it may be, right? And you kind of go on this journey, or at least I do. And I remember my own journey of my youth where the preacher said, just because I said so. There was no application. There was no understanding. And that was really frustrating for me as a young man. If it wasn't for the grace of God, there's no way I would be standing here. And yet it's because of the book. It's because of the Bible that I have this passion. And it's because of some of the upbringing that I had that I become so passionate on truly understanding what the Bible says. Not just cherry picking what we want it to say, but to wrestle with it all. And at the end of the day, sometimes say, Lord, I know this is your divine word. I just don't understand it at this moment. I don't understand this text at the moment. But I know when the time is right, you will illuminate it for me so that I can understand it and just leave it with that. And that is hard for somebody like me who thinks he's got to figure it all out. And I usually get it figured out. And I don't know how I just added that in there, scrapped that from the record. But that's what we do as Christian people. Not even a laugh, wow. But that's what we do as Christian people, right? We want to understand the text and it's so easy at times just to lay aside those hard and some of those difficult things. But that's, that's the first part that I wanted to bring before you here this morning. And that was the desire for the book. And, and secondly, it's the conviction from the book. We see the conviction from the book, the conviction from the Bible. And I want to go to, just quickly to Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 12 to 13, verses that are very familiar with us already, but I want to put it before you again. And it says this, for the word of God, the word of God that we have, the 66 books that we have, the word of God is living. It's not a dead book. And, I, you know, I, I find that so amazing sometimes. People are like, you know, help, we'll help this person understand or, or we need to save this person. It's like, well, we, this person needs to read the Bible. It's, it's the living, breathing word of God. That's what this is. Do you believe that this is the Bible, that this Bible can convict the person? You can't. The Bible can. It says the Word of God is living and it's active. It isn't sleep. It's just not black letters on a white page. It is active if we just take the time to read it. And it is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what the Bible does. That's what the Word of God does. And there is no creature that is hidden from its sight. There's no one who can hide from the, from the power of it. But all things are open and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we have to do. To whom we have to give an account, I think as the King James would say it. Right? This is the word of God. This is what we believe. This is what we stand upon. 
And this is what we model and guide our life and our church after. These are the things that we focus upon. You know, also as a Reformed person myself, I can't help but think of the Protestant Reformation. You know, it's coming up next Sunday, October 31st. And on October 1st in 1517, Martin Luther, that we hear often much about this time of the year, depending what circles you run in, Martin Luther, he nailed the now famous 95 Thesis to that Wittenberg door in Germany. And when he had nailed those 95 Theses, the 95 statements of contention that he had with the Roman Catholic Church that we also have, that he nailed these to that door that he didn't want to argue about. He wanted to talk about and he wanted to have a discussion about them. And Martin Luther, he was called before the Diet of Worms. Now, a Diet of Worms, that's just assembly. He was called before a council meeting. He was called before because he needed to recant the things that he said on that door. And as he was called there before the council, before them, Luther seen no proof from Scripture. Again, this is what must govern all parts of our life is what Scripture says. He seen no proof from Scripture that went against those 95 theses that he had nailed to those Wittenberg doors. And so as he came to this diet there in Worms, Germany, as he came there and they laid the case before him, they said, Martin Luther, recant or you will be defrocked. You will be put out of the church. Martin Luther said this, unless I am convicted by Scripture in plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and consuls, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to do so is to go against conscience, and it is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. And Martin Luther was indeed run out of the church. But the interesting thing that I would say is this. Some either, either like the history of the Protestant Reformation and, and the legacy left by Luther, a very imperfect, a very man who certainly had many, many great faults that has been well documented. Some like him and some don't, but many have not read the 95 Thesis. So I want to give you the very first one that he wrote on that door. And it is this, based upon Matthew chapter 4, verse 17. When our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. Who cannot give an amen to that? Martin Luther said, no. When Jesus says repent, he rent, repent of all of life, of all areas. We do it before God. We don't do it before a pope. We don't do it before a bishop. We don't do it before a pastor. No, it is before God that repent from all and everything. And you see, here's the crux of the matter, is it not? The problem is not that people lack understanding of what the Bible teaches, but the problem is people fully understand what the Bible teaches and yet refuse to accept it. Right? That's where the crux of the matter is. I did a really quick Google search about 4 o'clock this morning on what are some of the top 10 issues people have with the Bible. And I left those on the desk. Don't worry, I'm not going to read them to you. But it was, it was fascinating. And again, it just proves this very, very point right here. Is somebody Googling that right now? You are, aren't you? That's okay. <laughs> That's okay. But, you know, and, and, and it's amazing. It's not that we don't understand the Bible. 
but we don't like what the Bible has to say to us. And if you look at verse 9 of the text here this morning, before I break my own rules and get too far away from the text here, it says, and then Nehemiah came to all the people and they said, hey, you're weeping, you're mourning, what's going on? Quit this repenting. <laughs> I don't think we've ever had that in any of our churches where we repented too much. And yet the people here were so convicted and realized that for almost 70 years, they had lost that first love. They had walked away. They had become comfortable in Babylon. They had been comfortable in the culture that they were in. They had become com comfortable in their community, if you will. And they became acculturated to their community, and they lost their sense and their direction of God. They were convicted. And there's really three basic options that we have as we come before the Word of God. I mean, they're quite obvious, are they not? We can obviously reject it all, right? And we can say that it was, that it was misogynistic uh, old uh, men with white beards and uh, uh, whatever, and they wanted to control people. And so therefore, the Bible was about trying to control the masses, right? Or we can say, well, there's good principles that we can learn from the biblical text. We can, we can find good writings from that. And we can, it can give good application and direction for our life. Right? We can become very angry with the text, or we can become convicted and confess and to acknowledge that, yeah, I, I'm saying I as first person singular, right here, I, I often fail. I often have to come before confession. I often, as I prepare sermons, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I'm the first one to be convicted as I study the Word of God. That is how we as people of the book must approach and come to the Bible. The next chapter of Nehemiah in chapter 9, verse 2, it tells us that the people stood and they confessed their sins. They confessed before God. And I would just invite you this morning to, as you think about it, as you think about where you are in life, as you think about what God, how God may be speaking to you. I'm glad you're here this morning. I really am. You know, there's so many folks. You know, I, I don't understand. You know, after a year and a half of this pandemic, there's still so many people who aren't back at church. Why is that? Why is that? I'm often reminded of that. I take great encouragement by seeing you here this morning. You know, isn't this what church is about? You don't need to hear somebody like, like me rambling on. Carl does a much better job than I do, even without notes. You know, right? But we come together to encourage each other. We come together because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. We want to encourage each other. You cannot be a Christian alone, and I'm sorry. You cannot watch TV at home and think you were at church service. I get many, many, much great help from watching my own YouTube videos of way gifted, better gifted speakers than I. And I value that, and I would encourage you also to take value in that. But don't forsake the gathering together here this morning, Hebrews 10.25, right? We come together not because this is how we're saved, but we come together because we are saved. I think about it so often. I was thinking about it this week even. As I was thinking about Marvin and his upcoming surgeon, I was again reminded of Judy. 
I mean, somebody, not a single person would have faulted her for staying at home. How much encouragement did she bring you by her presence sitting right there? Or Norman? Why did they come? Because they loved you. They loved us. They loved God. They loved the book. That's why we gather on a Sunday morning. And so as we think about Ezra, as we think about the people now coming back out of captivity, I cannot help but make a comparison to our own pandemic. We too must come back and say, bring the book, Pastor. No more self-help sermons. No more self-help talks. Just the book. Just the book. And the book leads to celebration. Verse 12. All the people went away to eat, to drink, to send portions and to celebrate a great festival because, because they understood the words which had been made known to them. Because they understood those words, they had great encouragement. And so again, I hope you gathered something from all of that rambling here this morning. But I want to encourage you also again as I again draw upon Luther and as we think about the Lord's Supper next week and as we come together. Martin Luther as a young man used to go through tremendous efforts to try to be righteous, to try to do all the good deeds that he thought a holy and a just God demanded of him. And then he came across the Romans 117 and he realized that no, a righteous man lives by faith. We too, as righteous men and women, we live by faith. We don't live by our works. We don't live by indulgences as Tetzel tried to run around to the communities and say, hey, when the coin in the coffer rings, a soul from purgatory springs. No, there is no purgatory. There is no way you can buy yourself out of heaven. It is through grace alone, in faith alone, in Christ alone. And that is why we will come to the supper next Sunday. That's why we come to the Lord's Supper. Christ's blood, not money, purchased your freedom. Purchased your freedom. Have you lost sight of that? Do you see the appreciation in that? Does that bring you joy? Does that give you cause for celebration? I pray that it does. Father, I thank you for this time this morning. I thank you for giving us the book. Father, it's not the book that we worship. It's not the book that we celebrate. It's not the book that we hang our faith on, but it's what's recorded in the book. Father, we thank you for your spirit who helps illuminate these divine words that have been recorded for us. And I pray, Lord, as we think about our own efforts, as we think about our own life, as we think about how do we measure up to your standards, Father, would you drive us to our knees Father, would you bring us to that point of where Luther himself found himself in total despair until you pulled him up out of that and caused him to realize that no, it is by faith alone in what you have done on our behalf. And that we, may we indeed rise in celebration victoriously as you yourself have risen. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.